Welcome back to the Cruise Elite Podcast. Today we're talking about pain and we're going to get into some pain education. Everyone experiences pain at some point. You might even be in pain right now. Understanding how pain works and where it comes from is one of the most important pieces of the puzzle when it comes to solving your own pain issues. The average person hasn't been taught anything about pain science. Pain can be very frightening for people because they generally associate pain with damage. This, however, is not always true. My goal with this episode is to bridge you into understanding pain better, where it comes from, and why it exists in the first place. In my experience as a coach, anytime I've helped someone reduce or eliminate their pain, it was becoming educated on pain that laid the groundwork for their results. Because without education, you just can't easily navigate the process with confidence. Are you ready for this one? Let's do it. Let me start by reciting four things that I'm constantly educating about and constantly reminding our members about when it comes to pain. Because guess what? Pain is normal. People get surprised when I say that, but pain is normal. Pain is going to come up. It is a signal that your brain and your body uses to try to get you to change your behavior. Pain can actually be a great teacher. So understand that pain is normal, but we want to be able to deal with pain to the best of our ability. And in order to do that, we have to understand more about it. Because without understanding more about pain, there's actually a lot of fear around pain. And when you have a lot of fear based around your pain, it's not a good recipe. And it kind of is a catalyst for a number of different kind of negative consequences that can come come up. So let me recite these four things for you. Number one, pain does not live in your body. Pain lives in your brain. That means if your right knee hurts, guess what? There is no pain in your right knee. Sounds kind of crazy, doesn't it? The pain is actually a construct of your brain. It lives in your brain, but you feel it in your right knee. Number two, pain doesn't equal injury, and injury does not equal pain. Number three, the severity of your pain does not decide the severity of your problem. Number four, just because you have pain does not mean that you have a mechanical problem. So let that sink in a little bit. A lot of it probably sounds weird if you don't know very much about pain because, right, when I think about how it was for me before I was exposed to any modern pain neuroscience education, I thought that if something hurt with my body, that it meant there was some kind of damage or mechanical issue that I had to deal with. And that's just not the case. In fact, most pain is threat-based pain. Most of the pain that we feel that's kind of random, right? We've all kind of woke up before, you know, with some kind of mysterious pain. We don't really know what happened. We don't have an injury event to go with it. We start searching for, you know, reasons why we might be feeling what we're feeling. 
Maybe it was the run I took on Saturday. Maybe it was the workout I did on Sunday. Maybe it was helping my friend move all the heavy things that I had to pick up. We start searching for reasons why we should be in pain, but we're not really confident in any of those reasons because we didn't have an actual injury event, but we still have pain. Why? That's what I want to talk to you about. So we're talking about mysterious pain. We're talking about chronic pain, right? Being in pain for a long period of time. In fact, I think right now, if you look up what chronic pain is, I think it's described as pain that exists for longer than three months and after any tissue damage has been healed. So you can literally stay in pain after an injury has been healed, right? That's chronic pain, pain that persists for a long, long time. I want to talk about chronic pain today. And of course, we have pain that is more associated with maybe some kind of acute injury that we've had. These are the types of pain that I'm always talking about with clients and with members. So let's start with a little bit of uh, pain education so that you can understand how it works. The old model of thinking with pain was that if I hit my finger with a hammer, right, that there is a pain signal created at the point of contact where the injury is, where the hammer hit my finger. That is the old model of thinking, and then that pain signal would travel and um, it was it would become right the pain signal. And that has now been disproven. And the new model of pain education tells us that your brain is actually creating the the pain experience. Meaning if I hit my fingertip with a hammer, there is no pain signal associated with making contact with my finger. And what happens is we actually have receptors, nerve endings, called nociceptors that are essentially danger receptors, or sometimes we call them threat receptors. And if you hit your fingertip with a hammer, you're going to get a lot of nociceptive activity, right? Those nociceptors are going to sense threat, and then that signal is going to make it to your spinal cord and eventually to your brain. And your brain is going to take that information and compare it to other bits of information and decide what it means. And if there is enough threat associated with it, your brain makes the decision to create the pain experience. That's how pain works. So the pain is not actually where you feel it. It's different than that. Okay, it comes down to those threat receptors picking up on that dangerous stimuli, that potentially dangerous stimuli. And your brain, based on how it is perceiving it, will go through all the different processes that it has to to decide whether or not it should create that pain experience for you. That's very important for you to understand. Now, let's move on a little bit. What I want you to understand about the brain is that it is a survival-based organ. That means that it is wired to keep you safe. That's it. It's not wired for performance. It's wired for safety. 
It is constantly monitoring you through all its different senses, and it's trying to keep you as safe as possible for every single moment, right? Right now, right now, right now, right now. That's how it works. And your, your brain will actually sacrifice your long-term health to keep you safe in the moment. That is very, very important to understand. The reason why this is important for you to grasp is because when it comes to pain, pain is a very survival-based thing, right? If, if you're experiencing pain, your brain is trying to keep you safe. Pain is a protective output. That's how I think about it. Your brain is creating a protective output. The goal of the pain is to try to get you to change your behavior in some way, and it's also to try to keep you safe. So sometimes pain is doing us a favor, isn't it? In fact, when people come to me looking for help with movement problems and pain issues, I talk to a lot of people who have mysterious pain issues, pain that has come up in their life and they don't know why. Most pain, actually, for most people is like that. And I have to bring them through this educational process to get them to understand that their brain is creating a protective output for a reason. So in order to, in order to help them with those movement problems and that existing pain, we have to figure out or ask some bigger questions. Why is your brain creating this protective output? Which is the pain. So there are tons of different factors that go into the pain experience. Different factors for why your brain is creating the pain. And I want to bring you through a list of those factors. Okay. So the first factor is sensory input from your body and your environment. Our brain has a lot of different ways to sense both our external environment and our internal environment. We have a visual system, our eyeballs, that really helps us understand our external environment. We have a vestibular system, which is the inner ear. That helps us maintain our balance, maintain our posture, both at rest and while we're moving. We have a proprioceptive system that is for helping us understand where our body is. Where's our head? Where are our limbs? Where is our trunk? Kind of sounds funny to think about it that way, but we have a built-in system that helps us map our body so that our brain actually knows where we are in space. We have lots of other different types of senses. Those are the three major ones, and they play a huge role in the pain experience. One of the Things that I talk a lot about is what we refer to as a sensory mismatch. And a sensory mismatch is a big reason why an, indiv an individual can experience pain. A very simple sensory mismatch situation that I talk a lot about is being like seasick, right? Or being car sick. Your brain is really confused about the incoming sensory information for some reason. Right. If I'm on a boat and the boat is rocking, but I'm not actually moving forwards, my visual system might not be registering um, very much activity, but
but my proprioceptive system and my vestibular system are telling my brain that we are moving and all of a sudden my brain is confused because the visual system is the system that your brain thinks is uh, giving information back that is of uh, most is the most important information right because we use our eyes for so much so if the information coming in from the external world does not match as your brain is comparing what the visual system is saying what the vest to what the vestibular system is saying to what the proprioceptive system is saying if those systems are disagreeing that actually drives up threat levels creates a sensory mismatch and therefore your brain might make the decision to create some kind of protective output in the case of being seasick or carsick obviously it can be nausea right it can lead you to vomiting and all that nasty stuff but this also takes place all the time when it comes to just movement problems sometimes people have different levels of sensory mismatch that are causing threat levels to be elevated and it could cause your ankle pain or your knee pain or your hip pain so point being sensory input from the body and your environment plays a big role in the pain experience one of the goals that we have with training is to train our senses so that all of that input coming in from both the external environment and our internal environment is clear and our brain can trust that information we want it to be quality sensory input and if it is quality sensory input and our brain feels safe and it trusts that information then we can decrease threat levels and hopefully feel less pain and of course move better so that's a big one that i want you to consider now other factors that go into the pain experience Here's a big one, previous experiences. This is huge because if you've had any negative previous experiences, they can really influence the way that you think and how you feel, and that can play a big role in how much pain you're feeling. Cultural factors are really big ones. The one that comes to mind the most is how you were brought up or what you were exposed to in your upbringing. I think about this a lot being involved in jujitsu, right? And having a wrestling background. When new people come into class, it's really a rude awakening because it's a very challenging sport. Not only is it very technical, but there's a lot of discomfort that goes with the sport because people are literally on top of you. They're preventing you from breathing easily. They're trying to pull your arms and your legs off your body. It can be pretty rough. And I always notice that certain people have a much harder time with that because they haven't been exposed to those types of threats before. So how you were brought up, what you've been exposed to during your upbringing, a lot of that comes into play with your pain experience and a lot of it comes down to your conditioning for pain. Your social and work environment comes into play here too. If you're surrounded by people who think you're going to get hurt if you try deadlifting because maybe they once did get hurt picking up something heavy, that might change the way that you think and feel and behave and that could actually play a big role 
in how much pain you feel. Expectations about consequences of pain. This is really a big one if you've ever had a pretty serious injury. About five and a half, almost six years ago, I injured my back and it was a very intense injury that took me off my feet and I literally was bedridden for about a week. And during that time, I was thinking a lot about the consequences of what happened. I wasn't really sure what kind of injury I had. All I knew was that my lower back hurt so much that I couldn't walk, couldn't even turn over in bed. And I thought a lot about the consequences of this. Where is this going? Where is this leading me? Is the severity of this pain experience telling me how serious the injury is? So your expectations and your consequences, or sorry, your expectations and um, the uh, potential consequences of pain play a huge role in the pain you're feeling, maybe how long it's going to last, etc. Last, beliefs, knowledge, and logic come into play here. And I believe that beliefs are really one of the hardest things to override when it comes to pain. And I deal with this a lot because I'm educating about pain all the time. I'm trying to help people understand it more because I know that if I can break down any beliefs or false beliefs, I should say, about pain, I know that that's going to help that person make more progress faster. In fact, it makes me think of a conversation I had with a good friend a couple years ago. We were on a trip around a campfire, and we were talking about our kids. Um, and I remember her, her, her saying, I'm really scared when my boys jump out of trees or jump off of high things. They hit the ground, and I think she said it hurt her back. And she had had a long history of, uh, of back pain. And just watching her kids do all this aggressive jumping and landing would literally make her uncomfortable and even give her a little, bit of, uh, a little bit of back pain in the moment. And I remember having that conversation with her and trying to like assure her that, hey, you know, your boys are super athletic. They're super active. They are always doing things they're very healthy and jumping out of trees is nothing for them they're conditioned for it their body is conditioned for it so you don't have to be scared when they're jumping and i think that this happens a lot with people a lot of it is based on their previous experiences one time this is another story that popped into my head my wife and i were with some friends who were skinning up a uh, mountain in the winter, which means you're basically uh, skiing up a uh, up a mountain and then like kind of cross country style, and then you strap on some some downhill uh, equipment for skiing down the mountain after you reach the top. And we didn't have any equipment for that, but we went along for it and we hiked up. And when we got to the top, and our friends decided to ski down, my wife and I decided, well, let's run down. And we were pretty conditioned for it because we do a lot of hiking. And at the time, we were doing some trail running and stuff. So we decided to run basically these big S-turns down this steep mountain. 
we had uh, cleats on because obviously there was snow and there was ice. And on the way down, multiple people yelled to us, be careful, that's bad for your knees. And I'm just laughing. And of course I was polite. Yeah, okay. I didn't say this, but we talked about it afterwards. And it's like, no, it's not bad for our knees. It's bad for your knees. And people project their uh, their pain issues on others because of previous experiences. And they might change their thinking so much that now they think running downhill is bad for your knees. Or maybe they think squatting is bad for your knees because they can't squat. Or maybe they think kneeling is bad for your knees because they can't kneel. And I always think about this a lot because it's all based on all these different factors that I just went through. And it's interesting for me to think about because it goes to show you how much your thought process can change and your behavior can change based on these factors. And it can be a trap for a person. It really can, which is why I'm so passionate about teaching people about pain so that we can avoid that cycle that happens where a person then begins to avoid certain movement because of previous experiences being negative with a certain movement, maybe because of certain cultural factors, maybe because their sensory systems are not operating the way they should, and there's some kind of sensory mismatch from old injuries or whatever you might have in your health history. All these things your brain is kind of putting together to just try to understand whether or not you're safe in the moment, because remember, your brain is wired for safety over performance. It's all about safety. And your brain will literally get you to change your behavior in certain ways if it thinks that you're not safe. And it can lead you to avoidance, which leads you to moving very differently, sometimes not at all. And I want to help people avoid that because it's a trap. Okay, let's switch gears a little bit. Whenever I educate about pain, I always show people a graphic that I have from a study. And actually, it's a study that you can you can find pretty easily. I'm just going to be reading um, here at the top of it. It says uh, age specific estimates of degenerative spine imaging findings in asymptomatic patients. If you actually just like go on Google or Google Scholar and you uh, type in some keywords like degenerative spine imaging findings in asymptomatic patients, you will actually get a lot to look at and uh, some really interesting stuff to look at. So I'm not going to get into um, any of the specific details here on this study, but basically they were looking at a group of, uh, of people and they all were asymptomatic and they were looking at images of their spine. And uh, we had a, there was a, um, a whole group of people, different ages. The key takeaways from the study is that uh, the 50%, this is this is wild to think about, 50% of 40-year-old participants in the study had bulging discs. 
and 68% had disc degeneration. Remember, all of them did not experience any pain whatsoever. These were all asymptomatic patients. Another big takeaway was 80% of 50-year-old patients showed disc degeneration, and 60% of them had a bulging disc, but again, no pain. So how could this be? Well, remember, pain does not always equal injury, and injury does not always equal pain. That's a really big takeaway. Which is to say you can have tissue damage and experience no pain, which is kind of wild to think about. You can also have pain without having any tissue damage. And of course, uh, people can have varying levels of pain. What one person considers a 10 out of 10, another person might experience it as a 5 out of 10. Right? Remember our previous experiences, upbringing, physical and emotional conditioning play a big role in our pain tolerance scale. Now all of this talk makes me think about a story that I want to share with you. The story takes place about 10 years ago. I was in a very intense learning phase in terms of learning how to use applied neurology. And I was learning about how important it was to educate my clients about pain particularly clients that came to me with movement problems and pain issues. So I was referred a young female gymnast. And she came to me because she was having a lot of back pain. Now, she had previously had about eight years of back pain. And eight years before the time that we met, she had had some stress fractures in her back. So it was, uh, it was a relatively serious injury. However, all of that healed. And what happened after the injury was healed is that she continued to have chronic back pain on and off for eight years. And sometimes it could get really intense for her and take her out of gymnastics and weightlifting, really all the activities that she liked to do. So she was referred to me and I went through the whole history process trying to learn as much about her as I could so that I could figure out how to help her and try to figure out what was going on. Why was this person experiencing such intense back pain even though she had been reassured many times by her doctors that everything looked good on her images and all of the previous um, issues that once showed up were not there anymore, right? She didn't have any more stress fractures in her back. So she came to me and I could tell she was slightly skeptical and I quickly learned why is because she had already been to multiple professionals more that more than she could even remember who were going to try to help her with her back pain and nothing really seemed to help. So anyways, we got to work and I took her through a battery of assessments to learn more about her movement and we started doing drills and I started teaching her our assessment process where we basically assess a movement, then we perform a drill and then we reassess to see what the outcome of, of that drill was. Like how does her body respond to it? And she was really engaged in the process and I think already was feeling better about it because there was a process and she was able to experience when something helped her and when something didn't help her. So she saw me over the, she saw me for about five sessions. And the first time she came in, 
she said her back pain was about a seven out of 10. And so we started drilling and we did find a few high payoff drills that seemed to help her. And we got her back pain to about a five. She came back and she was actually a great student. She did, she did her homework drills and she was able to make some improvement. She came back in, the pain was still around a five and she had noted that improvement, which was great. And we kept drilling, we kept assessing. And after that second session, we got her pain down to like a three. She came a few more times. We, we were able to kind of continue that same track where we just gradually helped things along. And at about, um, it was the fifth session that we got together, we found some really great drills for her that got her pain to a one out of 10. And so we were really happy. She was really happy. We were kind of slapping high fives and um, she was really psyched with where the process was going and she was super engaged. And like I wasn't showing her this, but like part of me was slightly frustrated because I wanted to get her pain to a zero so that she could really experience that. So we had gone through all the drills. She was only going to see me for these five sessions. It was a success, but um, at the end of the session, I decided to educate her a little bit more deeply on pain. And I should have done this at the beginning. And I didn't. I wanted to get her right into movement. And so now I kind of approach things slightly different, having having learned this. But I started to have a conversation with her about pain, what it is, where does it come from, how the brain is creating the pain experience, and how our threat levels and how we perceive things in our environment, the movement that we're doing, all of it, how that has such an influence over the pain that we're feeling. And so we had a really nice conversation about it, and she understood it. I think being an athlete, you know, a gymnast, she really was able to attach to it and understand the whole threat concept. So we had this conversation, and after the conversation, thankfully, I thought, oh, I should have her retest. And so we went through all of those movements that we'd been using over the course of these five sessions, and sure enough, her pain went from a one to a zero, just from having the conversation, just from adding that pain education. She was really blown away by that. I was blown away by that. And she went on to have a lot of success. I would run into her um, once in a while and she was saying that um, she was doing really well and she was continuing to do her homework drills. So it was just a really, really cool experience for me early on because it showed me how important it is to educate people about pain so that you can kind of put the finishing touches in this case on figuring out how to dismantle all that threat that's associated with, in this case, a previous injury and eight years of back pain. So fun to think about and to keep in the back of your mind so that next time you're dealing with pain, whether there was an injury event or, or not, you can really remind yourself about how important it is to remember how pain works, where does it come from, and this is actually a wonderful segue into the threat bucket.
because the threat bucket is so huge when it comes to understanding pain. And if you haven't heard me discuss the threat bucket yet, I really encourage you to go back into some of my um, other episodes where I break it down a little bit more thoroughly. I'm just going to give you a really fast kind of crash course entry into the threat bucket right now, but it's so important to understand and it is just a wonderful educational tool. It's an educational tool to help us understand that our health is very holistic. If you can imagine a bucket, and the bucket is essentially your nervous system, and all day long, every single day, we have different stressors entering our bucket. Okay, how much sleep did you get? Is your nutrition on track? What's your work stress like? Do you have any financial stress, relationship stress, training stress from working out? Do you have any poor lifestyle habits? Okay, all of these things, all of these stressors are entering your bucket and they are contributing to the collective level of what we call threat, which is inside the bucket. So as these stressors enter the bucket, your threat levels increase. And eventually... If threat gets high enough, there's a spillover with the bucket, right? Your threat spills over. And that's what we call the output. And the output is, in most cases, pain, and it's also decreased performance. So this is really an interesting thing to understand. I reference it constantly with our members, but I also think a lot about it personally as I'm, you know, going about my training life with, uh, you know, weight training and jujitsu and dealing with all the little aches and pains that come up from, uh, from training stress. Okay. It's really important for me to always come back to the threat bucket so that I can really take a bigger look at all the possible contributing factors for elevated threat levels that might be leading me to feeling more pain. So the ultimate goal is learning how to manage the threat levels in your bucket. Learning how to de-stress your nervous system because it will reduce threat. And exercise is an amazing delivery system to do this for us, but exercise alone isn't, isn't always what seals the deal. Sometimes there's also behavior changes that need to happen that complement your new movement choices. It's not necessarily always movement that's going to solve everything. We have to look at the threat bucket and have that holistic view of our life because we might have multiple different things that we're doing that are helping us, right? Good lifestyle habits. You, you're getting your workouts in. You're on top of your nutrition. You have a new job and you're really enjoying it, right? All these good things are happening. You're, you're taking multiple walks a day and you notice how much it's helping you. But for whatever reason, you are having... Uh, trouble sleeping and maybe you have some other kind of uh, lousy lifestyle habit that's holding you back and you haven't addressed it yet, right? Well, it's possible that you could have all these other things going on that you're doing well, but 
the things that aren't going well for you, like sleep, could be contributing so much threat to your threat bucket that now as threat levels become elevated, you may be having that output of pain or decreased performance. So the point I'm trying to make is it's not always about movement. If you have pain, you can't really just look at it mechanically. You can't just think that the you know there's a magic exercise out there that's going to solve it. You really have to look at things more holistically. And if you can do that, it will really help you understand how pain can happen. So the goal, or I should say my goal always with, um, with training, is to learn how to manage my threat bucket as much as possible. Right? I want to make sure that I have tools in place, things that I can do that help me reduce the level of threat in my threat bucket. And if I can keep my threat levels low enough, what that allows me to do over time is start to expose myself to more stress. And hopefully, with repetition and practice, I can now build a greater tolerance for stress. So I always tell people our goal with training is actually over time to build a larger threat bucket because we can't expect that the threats aren't going to be there. There's always going to be stress in our life. There's always going to be stress in our life. So it's up to us to build a bigger threat bucket so that we can tolerate more. And to me, that's what training is. I'm, I'm hopefully trying to expose myself to enough threat, but manage it at the same time with the right tools so that I can build more resilience, build that bigger threat bucket that will allow me or serve me to move through the world with more efficiency and hopefully in a pain-free body. I hope this episode changes the way that you think about pain. I hope it empowers you to learn that when you're in pain, you have more control than you originally thought. Remember, if pain is an output of your brain, you can change that output. You can use the right movement in the right dose, as well as healthy lifestyle choices to change the way that your brain perceives any potential threat. By creating more of a sense of safety for your brain and your nervous system, you can effectively decrease threat and pain, which will allow you to move through the world more efficiently and in a pain-free body. If you want to learn more, please follow the podcast, sign up for the Strength and Mobility Dojo, and come along for the ride. I promise you'll learn valuable lessons and build a tool set that will help you keep training pain-free for years to come. Thanks again for listening.